Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Hey guys, I am outside walking my dog. In a little bit, I'm heading over to the Women's March and cannot wait to see so many of you there. I'm so thrilled to share this episode with Leslie Margarito with you. I think she is one of the most hilarious, insightful, inspiring, extraordinary performers working today. And I'm so grateful that she came on the podcast. I also wanted to tell you that in just a few days, it will be Broadway Con 2018, one of my favorite weekends of the year where all of the theater community come together to celebrate what theater means to all of us. And it's just one of the most beautiful events on the planet. And I have the great privilege of hosting a few panels. At noon on Friday, I will be hosting with Leslie Margarita and others a panel on auditions called The Good, The Bad, The Hilarious, where actors you love will share some of their most hilarious and inspiring audition stories and really sharing some very practical life-learned audition skills that you can bring into your life with you. And then at 2 o'clock on Friday with my beloved Anthony Rapp and others, we are hosting a panel on actors and activism, which will be an incredibly inspiring event, sharing ways in which we can all together as a community 
activate and find our activism superpowers. And I'm really thrilled to be a part of that. And then on Friday and Saturday, when I'm not hosting panels, you can find me in the marketplace. There's a podcast table. So please come say hi. I can't wait to meet all of you in person. I'm going to be interviewing Joe Iconis and Jennifer Tepper and Melissa Anelli, who founded, along with Anthony, Broadway Con. I'll be there with Matt Roden from Red Carpet Challenge fame. Robbie Rozelle, also known as the Diva Whisperer. So many incredible guests that I can't wait to share with you. So come find us. And now, here's a little-known fact about Leslie Margarita. She grew up on a cattle ranch and became a Broadway star. Find out how those two things go together. Welcome, Leslie Margarita, to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. My guest today, Leslie Margarita, won the prestigious Olivier Award for the West End production of Zorro the Musical, and she made her Broadway debut originating the role of Mrs. Wormwood in Matilda the Musical. After over 1,000 performances, she left Matilda to go across the street to star in the Broadway premiere of Dames at Sea. And then she went back across the street again to return to Matilda to finish that show's run. She was born and raised in California. She trained at UCLA. And soon after, she was chosen to star in the television series Fame L.A. Other TV credits include The Good Wife, Major Crimes, The Sweet Life on Deck, Charmed, NYPD Blue, and On the Lot. Film credits include the movie musical, Opening Night, The Number 23, and Boogeyman 2. Leslie's beautiful voice can be heard on several animated films and shows, including Disney Cinderella 3 and Nickelodeon's SpongeBob SquarePants. She's the author of Neck Punch and Carry On, Advice from the Queen, a series of inspirational messages inspired from her Twitter feed. Also, she's performed in the fundraiser Broadway Bears and has helped to raise millions of dollars for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. Welcome, Leslie Margarita, to the podcast. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I'm really sad right now that this is an audio experience because I wish listeners could see that while I read her bio, (gasps) Leslie Margarita was literally under the desk. I hate it. Curled up in a ball. I I kept shrinking. I hate it. I hate all of that. I hate writing bios. I hate hearing them. It just makes my skin crawl. That is a great way for us to start. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's my goal. I was like in a ball. I know. crunching down. I know. Well, the other way to look at it, it's a tribute and an affirmation that you have done stuff. I'll look at it as an affirmation. Yeah. Hooray. An inspirational, aspirational (laughs) moment. Because from what I understand, you grew up. On a cattle ranch. I did. On a cattle ranch, which was amazing. Do you highly recommend? I highly recommend uh, because I was by myself. My sisters were older, and so they they were kind of in high school and college when I was a kid. And so all I had around me were the cows, and then I would put on shows with the cows, and I had all the lines. So what could go wrong, <laughs> which is important. So, yeah, I loved it. And it was just like I grew up there until – I was 12, we moved, and then I became totally princessy. I have no idea. I was a total tomboy. So from overalls uh-huh. to ball gowns. Totally. I have no idea how it happened. You're so fluid. <laughs> so fluid. That's how I describe <laughs> you. But wait, so Kelly O'Hara was just here the other day. Love. She grew up on a farm. 
Oh, wow. And in that case, I think it had been many generations of of her family had run that farm. In your case, mm-hmm. was this something that had been in your family for yeah. a long time? My the my mom's side of the family were ranchers for gosh, hundreds of years and so uh and still are. Um and that was part of uh, my growing up and just like this is where I lived. This was what my, you know, my uncles were on the ranch. They didn't live there with us, but they were on the ranch, like doing all the cattle things. Doing and the ranch things. <laughs> doing the ranching things. And it was amazing. And, and you know, it was just the way you grew up and you had meat in the freezer all the time. And it was... Was there um, like some pig? Like, did you have oh, yeah. animals that you cared about that then became dinner? Uh, Yeah. That was just kind of part of growing up. Not so much me. My mom really was, when she was a kid, she would raise animals and then bacon. But not so much me. It was more cattle on our ranch. And I'm sure I did eat some of the cows that had starred with me, but maybe they crossed me the wrong way. Who knows? Maybe they tried to upstage me. me. And they end up in the freezer the next day. It's so, kind of a cautionary tale for future co stars. No yours. different now, just different cows. Out of my way. That's my key light. Well, we learned. I'm so kidding. We are. Well, <laughs> we're of, gonna we're gonna have some guests come in and talk about that from oh, their perspective. Boy. So you grow up on this cattle ranch. Yeah. You are literally. It sounds like you're an only child who's not literally an only child, yeah. but kind of. Do you have friends? I did. In school, you know, I'd get on the bus. There was this really long road that we had to, and all of my sisters and I would call it the road, that you had to walk down and I'd get on the bus and kids would start mooing. They were so mean. Are you kidding? So mean. But yeah, I had, you know, friends at school. So you didn't grow up in a town where everyone did what your family did. No, it was like, no, I was on the ranch. And then, you know, now when my my parents, uh, when we moved, they sold our ranch, and now it's just homes. But before, it was just land, as many places were. But then there was, you know, the normal schools and houses, and no, it was just like where, I was the one who lived on the ranch. Where was this? In Northern California. Beautiful. Yeah. Are, so is your family still there? They're still there. So you go back. Not on and, the ranch, clearly. Clearly. But, Did they yeah. sell the ranch? They, we sold the ranch. That's when I was 12 and we moved. And I was so excited to move to, like, a, a tract home. Like, I was so excited to have neighbors and a two-story house. I was just, I thought that was, like, it. Because I just had not grown up with kids, like, down the street or, yeah. you know. And so I really loved that. Now I wish, you know, things were different. But as a 12-year-old, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to live in a in a tract home <laughs> with the kids in the cul-de-sac. And That's nice. Yeah, I was excited. But, yeah, we uh, my mom's side of the family still are ranchers and pear farmers and, and like, it's just all over Northern Did California. Did you ever make friends with one of those pears and then you had to eat it? <laughs> Did that ever happen? You know, pears are bitches. So <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You heard it here. When you just said that thing about you'd get on the bus uh-huh. and kids would say moo, mm-hmm. that kills me. That kills me. And I'm really trying to figure out what that is so I can squash it. So I can go around the world yeah, and squash I don't know what it, whatever it is that has kids do that. I don't know what it is. And in my Cabaret shows are all about ver- like empowering, self empowerment, and I think, and a lot of it is about bullying. And I mean, I couldn't be a teenager, a kid now, with what happens with social media. 
But then I think, you know, you never forget those things. I never forget getting on the bus at seven years old and kids are mooing at me. And you just, those things stick with you. But I, I think they also kind of build who you are because I would then, you know, be funny and make a joke out of it. And I think that was my way of deflecting the bullying was, well, I'm going to turn it around and and everyone's going to laugh with me, not at me. Um, and so I think that was character building. But I don't – kids just – I don't know. I think one kid starts it and they all, you know, go along. It's so crappy. <laughs> when you were starring in Matilda, which we'll get to in more detail, when the new Matildas would arrive, would you moo at them? <laughs> you know, it was kind of devastating because I had to be so mean to them. So, so mean. And in the beginning, um, when we were in rehearsal, Gabe Ebert, who played my husband, we were really like kind of freaked out about it. But these kids, they they just know what's acting and what's not. Um, but I was, yeah, I was really worried about it in the beginning because we're screaming at them, horrible things. And the trunch bowls too. And these little girls, but as soon as, you know, they'd say, okay, we're taking a break, they'd laugh and play with us. And so I wasn't uh, I was more worried about with these kids um, things online. They would read. They all have phones. They'd read these tumblers, like ranking them in their roles. And and I would get so angry. I was so mama bear that I I I would just I couldn't believe how mean people were. So I was more worried about that. But yeah, I was, <laughs> and I was not a kid. I'm not a kid fan. Like I'm. I don't want them. I like them, but I just I don't know. Unless they're old enough to have a conversation. I don't understand babies. I don't get it. Um, puppies, yes. Babies, no. So before this show, I was like, oh, good. i got to deal with these kids. But these kids were, like, they're awesome. They're mini, tiny professionals. And and the good thing about Matilda is we weren't allowed to talk to them about show business at all. We had to just be like, how was school? Is there you a know? contract that you sign that kind of stipulates what talking points? It's not necessarily that you can, a, a contract. Or an understanding. An understanding. We all had a meeting, and the Matilda Company is is so fantastic about dealing with these kids. And so Matthew Warchus, the director of Status Down, he said, here's what I I really want to happen. Don't be overly uh, affectionate with one kid because then another one would be like, why are they hugging? You know, don't pick the kids up. Don't. A ton of it was about don't talk about the show. Don't talk about the business. And I thought that was so important because what I loved about these kids is they'd be, you know, playing a video game on their phone and then give their phone to the child wrangler who, who those wranglers are amazing as well. And then they just walk on stage and it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. And this is, you know, eight-year-olds like carrying a multi-million dollar show, which was astounding to me. But they, you know, a couple of times... Kids would get a little overwhelmed, but then they like snap right back. You know, they were amazing. Well, let's back up a little bit because yeah. as I read in your bio, but what actually I, I'd like to add, because you were curled up under the table and I felt like I had to really truncate this experience, <laughs> you got to do the thing that every little girl who wants to be a performer dreams of, which is be in a production of Annie. Oh, yeah. Correct? Oh, I annied everywhere. Right. So, which means early on in your life, from cattle uh-huh. farm to track. Yep. Mm-hmm. I never know if it's track. No, it would be urinary tract, and it's a track, track home. home. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. You realized that you could sing and dance. Yeah, it was by accident. I danced. I started at four dancing and loved it. My mom danced and 
put me in classes because I I was so hyper. They didn't know what to do with me. So they put me in dance class. Do you remember class. that? Do you do you think you were Oh, completely. Yeah. Oh, completely. Like hyper. for real, hyperactive. For real, hyperactive. Mm-hmm. Like went to doctors. They thought it was like an allergy. No, I was just a weird hyperactive. <laughs> what would you be allergic to? <laughs> I don't Sitting know. still, They're chairs. Like, is it sugar? Is it what you know? And um, and finally, my parents were like, "Oh, she's just who she is," you know. Yeah. Um, and so I was dancing, and then would always listen to uh, the Annie, you know, the the Broadway recording. My Ballet teacher at the time was doing a production of Oliver. I think she was choreographing a production of Oliver. And she said, you know, why don't you come in and audition for one of the boys? Just sing happy birthday. And I went, okay. Went in, sang, and I had this, like, huge Annie voice. And I did Oliver. I was one of the boys. And then Annie was coming to the Bay Area, and they were having auditions and I made my dad go down and get the form to fill out for the auditions. So somehow you'd heard about this is happening. Yeah. I there was remember. word at the dance studio. I, I feel like it probably was yeah. there. You know, a flyer saying sure. we're, uh, auditions for. And I remember my dad went to go get the thing. And my dad said, look, if you don't get this, you know, don't, I don't want you to don't be, be crushed. Yes. This is a total long shot. You're going never on done, an adventure. You've never done anything in your life. And you mean you didn't get cast in Oliver, by the way? Oh, I did. Oh, right. I did. So but, you had but, done something. Sure. I had done this production of Oliver, but this was like a All professional right. production. But not for nothing, you did get cast in Oliver. I did. Okay. I did. I was good, too. Yeah. I was a good boy. But, you know, this was a professional production. And I don't remember a ton about it, but my mom said, you know, we walked in and it was just hundreds of little girls that had hair their hair were curled and dresses and I was in jeans because I was a tomboy on the ranch and she said that my friend my friend and I actually we went together and she said that that there was a man sitting kind of like watching this entire waiting room of hundreds of little girls and she said he was just kind of looking around and was staring at my friend and I and we were like you know how on some chairs, if you sit up and down, it makes a fart noise? Like, uh-huh. That's what we were doing. Know it. <laughs> so basically, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> we're going to give you something oh, to so help excited. you do it here. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I just got coffee. Yes. just got coffee. And the whole... Wait till you oh. hear what happens next. Okay, so I was like... <laughs> on the... On the chair. Um, my mom said... Every job I ever got happened just that way. Literally. And I'm no different now. And then I remember my mom said that this man kind of clocked it and was laughing, you know. And then he went in, and my mom said that I went in with 10 girls, nine came out, I was still in there. (laughs) Same thing happened, hours, hours. And finally it came out after like seven hours. And I was like, well, I got it. And I I was, and that man happened to be the director because he really, he wanted kids. And my friend got it too. Um, that's and the he, best. Want, he wanted normal kids. And that's right. why I think I loved the whole thing about Matilda, about keeping them normal, um, because he didn't want showbiz kids. And Where I, was this? this? Where did this production this happen? This was in San Jose. Um, and I was cast as one of the orphans. But then. Very good place to uh, mm-hmm. start. But then uh, I started playing Annie mm. all the time. What happened to that Annie? Well, I don't know what happened to her. They say she grew out of the they part. They say she however. grew out, however. She's not been seen I mean, since. you know, had my eye on the prize. And then I just played Annie everywhere forever. And I still have that voice. Like, it's the same. All right. Can you just give me a moment? Give me a moment of Annie. I know it's morning, but 
you know what? There was a line that that I loved, and I'll never forget because I remember working on my timing as a ten year old, where she's talking to Daddy Warbucks, and she's like, "Oh, you know, you're not going to take me the, to the movies or whatever." She's like, "Oh, gee," and it gets bigger. She goes, "Oh, gee," and all I remember is going, "Oh, gee." That's like the one that gets the biggest. And I remember getting laughs for it. And I was like, oh, oh, I know how to do this. I so know how to do this. You did. Uh-huh. And you still do. I still have the same voice. Well, you still have the same ability to figure out the joke and enjoy it. I mean, I think what's so irresistible and infectious about watching you perform is your a masterful technician of all that you do, of singing oh, and dancing thanks. and comedy. But I love a girl who laughs at her own joke. You like, I love to. that. <laughs> like, it's really important to be able to appreciate yourself. Oh and, I mean, I feel like you enjoy it. I, I'm the biggest dork. Like, I I, I love it. And, and thank you for saying it's technical because it is. Yeah. I work really, really hard on... On your bits. On my bits and timing and just as hard as I work on a drama script. You know, comedy for me is harder than drama because it's so technical. And if one thing, one beat is off, then a joke doesn't land and it just... And, you know, at some point you have to kind of throw it away. You know, you have to like throw it away. But but I do work really hard on it and break down scripts just like I would any other like serious monologue. Yeah. Um, but you, I have... I am the first one to laugh at myself. I just, I have to. I love that about you. If one were to look at your story, it feels like the road was just paved with rose petals and parts and (laughs) awards. But I know that that's not the reality. But you, you pursue it. You go to school for it. And then, I'm a little older than you, fame was a huge thing. It was for me, too. Yeah, as a little kid. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I was a little kid too. Did I say I, mm-hmm. that's what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I was really yeah. little. And I remember not ever getting to see it because I was too young. What is fame? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> I've never seen it. No, but I read about it. I read yeah. about fame. For me, it was the TV show. Like, yeah. I loved That was like the big deal. Yeah. So you go to college. I went to UCLA. Yeah. And I went to UCLA uh, not as a theater major. I started off as a dance major and then ended up basically on a pre-law track <laughs> because like you do like you do um but I knew I was always going to do this my dream and really one of the reasons why I went to UCLA is because I wanted to perform at Disneyland that was like I'm still a big and Disney you need friend. a college and you need uh, a college you need that's to be a college enough. graduate and I could not work at Disneyland if I was a theater major because they didn't allow you to work outside so I was like well screw that I don't need to be a theater major. I still did the the musicals at UCLA and loved it, but then I started working at, at Disneyland, and so was I did, that a lifelong dream? Oh yeah, I loved, I loved, loved, loved it. And and in high school, I'd worked at theme parks, and Disney was kind of like the pinnacle for me. <laughs> Can you take us inside? Like, there's people who love Disney so much. Mm-hmm. There's Exit Through the Gift Shop, the mm-hmm. kind of Banksy documentary. Mm-hmm. Are you sworn like for life to sign some paperwork? <laughs> That you can't really talk about it, or are no, you free I mean, to talk about it? You go to you go to this orientation, and they they, they tell you all about Disney and, and the religion of the, Disney. The religion of Disney. I was already such a fan 
I will say that I spent all of my college years working there, and and I traveled all over. I went to London. I went to Spain. Did you ever have sex in one of the Disney costumes? Absolutely not. Okay. I would never. You would. <laughs> I would never defile. The Disney. Disney You know what? I did defile it, though, by accident. Okay. I was always cast as, like, the dark-haired princesses. Jasmine Bell. Normally, like, the slut, Esmeralda, Mm. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Normally. Once in a while, I'd do Pocahontas, but look like Cher. I really wanted to be Ariel, Little Mermaid. And I was doing a live show where I was uh, Esmeralda. And one of the girls that was playing Ariel got sick, ironically eating bad seafood, but... I digress. And they needed somebody to sing that song. And I was like, oh, my God, I can do it. I can do it. And so... Give um, me that red wig. Give it to me. For real. Except when they put me in the costume, that's when I found out why they never let me do it. Because I have a a large chest. A bosom. A a bosoms. Yeah. Um, And the dresser started running around going, I don't know what we're going to do. We only have seashells, not (laughs) D-shells. For a real true story. I tell this in my cabaret show because it's it's too good to be true. And literally there were like pasties on me. And um Gotta have a gimmick, Leslie. I know. And then I started singing and you know, look at this stuff, isn't it? And I was like, what's that word again? And boys in the audience started going, Tits. <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. literally. <laughs> what's were that word dying? again? Tits. Mortified. I was 19, mortified. But anyway, so I I stayed with Disney and I loved it. But then, you know, it kind of like took the shine away. Being behind the scenes. Being behind the scenes. And what's the behind the scenes? It's like the costumes aren't that clean and the... No, I mean, like, look, they're the best at what they do. I just think, like, it's it becomes like any other job. But you got to sing those great songs and you got to... I mean, look, I loved it. and, And, but it took me a few years to kind of come back to my love of Disney now, my husband and I go all the time. We're massive fans, and, and, you know, especially since they took over Star Wars, which we love. But I love it. But I, that was definitely, like, the dream for me in college. And so from that, I worked at Universal as well. I did Beetlejuice's Graveyard r- Review, mm. and I did a Spider-Man show. There were a bunch of us there. Me, Eden Espinosa, Stephanie Block, like a, a bunch of us all together. Wayne Brady, like we all. need a reunion show. Oh, totally. But we, I we guess were, that's what Broadway Con will be. That's what Broadway Con, yeah. And so a bunch of us were working at the parks. You've just given me a great idea because I host panels at Broadway Con. Oh Lord, let's you do one on mm-hmm. Broadway royalty who performed at Disney at, at, or, or at Universal. Or Universal is a great one too because so many people did it. Do you think people would come to that one? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay, let me. Broadway Con, 800 Broadway Con. I know a ton of people do Beetlejuice. Okay. Yeah. And you can do little reenactments. Uh, little reenactments. What are we getting to? Oh, fame. So I just was like auditioning for stuff, and there was, I got an audition from my agent that was like, they're doing this pilot about kids that are in a band, and it was for ABC. And I went in and auditioned, and the director was Kenny Ortega, who... Mm. Are you kidding? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could tell other people, but... Kenny Ortega... High school um, musical. Kenny Ortega, yeah, yeah, directs all the high school musicals, but in back in the day, he choreographed the movie Dirty Dancing, and he directed all of Michael Jackson's tours. Ridiculous. Like Janet Jackson's... You know, he's... he's Unbelievable. 
He was a superstar. So I was already like freaked out when I met him. Wait, can I interrupt? How do you have an agent already? In college, I went to like showcases. I would send out letters. I'd invite them. You know, I was like, I'm performing at Disneyland. I'm performing at Universal. And I, you know, when you're 19 and you have nothing to lose, I, I had, I, really was just like, well, of course I, I'm going to get an agent. So I literally would just send stuff out until I got one. It, you know, th- there's something about being young and fearless that I feel like we lose later on. Mm. I was completely fearless. Yeah, now I'm old and scared. Old and scared. So I got in this this agent, and uh, I got a manager the same way. I used to get, you know, because back like in the Stone Age, there was like a book. The Ross Report. Yeah, there was a book that you went through, and I would send out actual mail, you know. <laughs> What? Pictures and, and and then the ones that would come contact me, then I would go and meet them and um but yeah, I was I was fearless. So I had an agent and a manager um in college and they sent me on this pilot audition and I ended up booking it and it was a pilot that was really bad about <laughs> kids in a band. So that pilot didn't go, but a couple months later I got a phone call that said, you know, um Kenny Ortega is directing the Fame remake, and they're putting it in L.A. And um, and I was like, oh, okay. And they said, but you're they want to see you, but you're not going in for anyone who sings or dances. And I was like, what? Basically, I was going in for the Doris Finsecker. I was the comedian actress. So I was kind of like, well, all right, but if I want to be on Fame, I want to sing and dance. So I went in, and I did a bunch of auditions. And then it ended up my last audition was at the improv in LA with these comedy people and it was actually like an improv audition and crazy but again yeah, 20 years fearless. old you're fearless and you're really funny yeah and I just you know didn't think about it and then I was like well you know they, they know I sing and dance Kenny knows I sing and dance which I'm sure helped me get the job but it was like then I ended up with this series and it was it was I was like, well, of course, of course I am. I just got to, you know, that's how it goes. It was like one of the first things I auditioned for. And I did 22 episodes of it. So now you have money. Right. And then I kept working and and did this thing and, and, you know, it came so easily. And then what happened afterwards is, oh, oh, this doesn't always happen. Because what happened to me on Fame, (laughs) and I tell this to girls all the time, I remember being fearless but also thinking, I'm beautiful. I'm amazing. I don't look like everybody else. I don't have the same body as everyone else, but I'm beautiful. That show, I was the fat, funny girl, the ugly, fat, funny girl. There were scenes written about it. There were, you know, and that show is when I think my brain went, oh, I'm okay. I'm, I don't belong with the pretty skinny girls. And it's horrible. And especially like hearing stories now of anyone in show business, how awful it is. Um, it really like did a number on me, and I feel like that knocked my confidence. And so I kept working, and I always, always performed and did shows. But I stayed in LA, and I kept working, but I didn't get another series. You know, it was just like I'd get a guest spot here or there. And but I remember like my that was definitely a switch of somebody telling me what they thought I was, and you end up believing that for a little while. I feel like everybody goes through that. Yeah, but it sucked. And I remember it. It's still, like, to this day, I still remember standing in front of this producer. And he, I remember him saying, he goes, you know, you're like uh, Paula Poundstone or, like, you know, you're like Rosie O'Donnell. And I was 20, and I was like, well, 
And the girl next to me was a model. She was like Miss Puerto Rico. And I was like, okay. Are those you know, my two choices? Uh, yeah. I yeah. Just, that's, that was the thing. I'm like, but I'm not like that. You know, it was just, it was disappointing. And, and well, quick disappointing intro. disappointing because I think Paula Poundstone and Rosie are, are geniuses. But they didn't mean it that way. No, they didn't. They, they meant how I looked. Yeah. They were just kind of putting you in a box. Uh-huh. Had they said, no, 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 you have the, bra- you have the brain, right, you have the timing. you're hilarious. I would have been like, like Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. They're they're role models. But that's for me. not what they meant. I know. I and it know. was devastating, devastating. And Kenny Ortega, bless him, was the one who would pull me aside and be like, "You know how good you are. You know what you're going to be as you get older in this business." He's like, "You're Liza." <laughs> you know, he's like, "You're Cheetah," and he was the only one really around that set who, I mean, you know, that would say it all the time. And tell me you're beautiful and you're, you know, and because I think he realized how difficult that was for me. The other girls got asked to do magazines and I was, you know. Not. Not. <laughs> and it taught me a lot. It really did teach me a lot. But it took me a few years to kind of regroup. It just, it took me getting older mm. to be like, oh, F yourself. Yeah. I, this is just who I am. And these are the parts I want to play. Yeah. So fast forward to mm-hmm. being cast in Zorba where you are playing this unbelievable... Oh, Zorro. Did I say Zorba? But I did Zorba, too. Right. <laughs> I, did, I did. I, I did Zorba, too. Uh, yeah, I stayed in L.A., and I knew that I wanted to do Broadway and had been, you know, so close to stuff. I was actually cast in the Los Angeles company of Rent, but I couldn't do it because of fame. Um, crazy. Like, how, you know, sliding doors. Like, which one do you... Which direction For do you Maureen? go? For Maureen? I was the cover. I was cast as the cover. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and I wanted to play Maureen so badly. So you didn't get to sing it. No. You never got to sing Rent I mean, professionally. No, not on the actual Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I was always auditioning for stuff, but I would fly out to New York because I, I really loved L.A. And my family was in California. And You started and I was, off on a cattle ranch. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. very far away. Yeah. And I loved doing the musicals out in Los Angeles. The theater community is phenomenal. But you did Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah. I mean, you did, I did all the after roles. part after part. Oh, yeah. All the roles that I wanted to do, I got to do there. Um, and I love the people there. And the thing about L.A. theater is people are there because they want to be. They they are doing theater because they want to do it. It's not going to make you money out there. Not doesn't Hard make you money here. Hard to get people to come. Yeah. yeah. People are there because they, they love it. And I did, I mean, amazing stuff with amazing people. So do you feel like that was your acting class? Did you study or did you? I did you... study, yeah. yeah. I studied. Um, I studied a lot. I, I studied voice and dance and, and, and acting a ton, and especially acting. Um, I had a great teacher. Her name was Leslie Kahn. Who, I did Leslie oh, Kahn. She was the best. I love her conversations. Yeah, she's so honest. And... Wait, doesn't she have a website called Conversations? Oh, does she? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, yeah, she coached me actually for some pilots, and she—I really do love her. <laughs> I feel like I look has... it up. I, I haven't seen Leslie Kahn completely changed my attitude. And what was funny is I met her out of a terrible ex-boyfriend, um, but I got her. <laughs> See? See, it works out. Um, yeah. And she was awesome, and she was so blunt. I needed that. I needed her to go. This is what you're going to do. Blah 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 blah. And I really started like booking stuff when I started you know working with her but I was always training like what's the takeaway if you think back now to sort of if you could share the wisdom Leslie's the one who taught me how to break down a comedy script 
before I kind of went, well, I, I know timing. And she goes, yes, you need to have that kind of natural timing. But she actually was the one who taught me to break down beats and to really pay attention to not just what I, my lines, but the other people, because the rhythm of the other people is going to set up what my you do. Yeah. And vice versa, you know, and, and it was just as important for me in a comedy scene to be not the funny, to be the setup for someone else. And I look at scripts now the exact same way. I get a script and the way that it's it's written, the punctuation, the whatever, you know, it's it's very technical. But she was the first one who was like, no, there's a science to this. And especially multicam sitcoms, which are difficult because, you know, you can get to be like, Arr! and when you're auditioning, you don't want to be blah yeah you know a single cam is a little different but a multi-cam you, it's a little more like stage but there's definitely a way to prepare it and so I just felt like I had more tools and it made her stuff made sense hmm. to me you know and her motto is like don't suck it's a good <laughs> which one. was kind of like you know when it when it all boils down you throw it all out just don't suck and be prepared she was so you know about be prepared, be prepared for anything and work on your stuff. And I've carried that um, with me. So, you know, I was so happy to to kind of get to know her. And um, so, you know, I, I stayed in L.A. because I was working. Because I was always doing theater, I got a, a call for a workshop for the first act of Zorro, the musical. And I was like, well, that's going to suck. Mm. Zorro, Even though Leslie Zorro, says, don't suck. Don't suck. Zorro, the musical. <laughs> God. Sign me up. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, it was like picturing like Party City mask dude in a crap cape. And I went and I had an audition for like the lead girl. And I got there and it was in like this crappy L.A., you know, studio. And I knew that the team was British. I got there and I was like, oh, the Gypsy Kings wrote the music. I'm like, well, I, I know the Gypsy them. Kings. And I looked at the character breakdown and I was like, oh, I'm. No, no, no. I'm here for the wrong character. And I told the person at the desk, I was like, listen, I'm here for the wrong character. Can I read for this other one? She goes, well, I have to check. She went in. She goes, yeah, yeah, they'll let you read for this other one. Because when I read it, it was, like, perfect. And so I went in. I read. Um, they were so nice, the, the the three guys that were there. And I ended up booking this this one-act reading. It was nothing like what ended up being there. But I loved the role, and I loved the writer, and... I really felt like I got to build this from the ground up, and it was only the first act. And I remember after that reading, they were like, "We're we're taking this to to London, and you know, we're gonna do it. You're gonna do it." And I was like, "Uh huh." Because I'll see you there. Uh huh. See you there. Let me make sure my passport's in good standing. Because Lord, you know, I mean, the amount of crap that I have been replaced in or forgotten about, or it's just the list is. Or it doesn't happen. Or it you put doesn't all this work happen. into it, and it just doesn't or happen. It doesn't happen. But this did. And you After went. like three years. Yeah. I, I kept workshopping it for three years, workshopped it in Los Angeles. I workshopped it in New York, in San Francisco. And, you know, the thing is with the Gypsy Kings is they're not Spanish. Um, the Gypsies. They're Gypsies. And this kind of like French Andalusian, weird, part Spanish, part French kind of language. And in the audition, they were like, do you speak either language? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but, you know, in auditions, you're like, absolutely. Um, I took French in high school. <laughs> and so I learned everything phonetically because some of my songs had their weird language and they got me a, a tutor. And, um, yeah, three years of that. And it, still after three years, I hadn't heard anything about it. And I had gotten engaged and was planning this giant 
Italian wedding. And I got a call in December. Uh, no, I got a call in like October going, this is going to England. We're going to tour England and then it's going to go to the West End. And I was like, well, I'm getting married in March. So again, <laughs> woohoo, give me a call when, yeah. you know, not thinking. And um, then I got a call saying, well, equity won't exchange you because you're a nobody. And I was like, okay, yeah, of course, not going to happen. And the producer goes, but I'm going to make this happen. We're going to get you papers and, and work papers. So up. you need to marry a British man. Right. And I was like, uh-huh, sure, man. Great. See you there. Didn't think about it. When I'm planning my wedding, I get a call in December going, we got your work papers. You're leaving um, December 26th. And I was like, we what? And they said, yeah, we're opening on tour in March. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting married April 12th. And I I can't have an understudy for that. Yeah. <laughs> and Sutton, so, Sutton Falls. Literally. And it was crazy. So they worked it out. And I went over there three months before I got married. My poor husband, like, had to do the last details, like, went on the food tasting with my mom, went went to you my bridal shower. married your mom, mm-hmm. is Went to saying. my bridal shower. My bridal shower, I was in Eastbourne in the UK, teching for the premiere, and I was on Skype, like, watching my husband open lingerie at my shower. And a crate and barrel <laughs> set of dishes. So... Unfortunately, we here on this side of the pond have not been able to see that production. I hope that that changes. That's heartbreaking. But you are now forever known as the Olivier Award winning actress, Leslie Margarita. I mean, that must be an incredible. For those of you who are unclear, the Olivier Award is the Tony for the Brits. So cool. And when I won, it was like not, there wasn't a separate award for men and women, it was men and women all together. You be um, everybody. It was like the coolest thing. And, you know, doing Matilda, everyone thinks that I won for Matilda. They think I did Matilda there. I was like, no, I didn't even see Matilda when I was there. It hadn't even opened. Um, oh, that's funny. That makes sense that they have yeah, conflated they just, these experiences. Yeah, especially because Zorro never came here. Yeah. Um, and I loved that role so much. And Zorro, Zorro was, the role was very dramatic. I had this giant death, you know. It's like totally different. But the Matilda creators had seen me. They did. And Zorro. Okay. So that's kind of how I... Did you have to audition for Matilda on Broadway? yeah. Can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. So my friend that was in Zorro called me and he said, there's a show that just opened and there's a role that you have to do. That was... And he sent me loud from the um, recording and I peed myself. I was like, I I know no one else can do this. Yeah. But I was still in LA. Just had like two massive heartbreaks of shows that I was really close to here on Broadway and didn't get them. And I was like, am I ever, I have an Olivier and still I can't get hired? Mm. Like it was heartbreaking. So my agent said that you have an audition, you have to fly yourself out. Flew myself out. I auditioned once for Matthew Wartress and Jim Carnahan, the casting, and then um, went really well. And I had prepared so, oh, so much. And now are you looking at Matilda footage from on YouTube from the London no, production? No, or just I didn't listening want to. Or just yeah. doing it on your own? I wanted to do my own. Um, in fact, when I went in, I had a totally different take. And Matthew was like, yeah, that's not it. <laughs> I went in and played her drunk. And he was like, no. This is actually no. who yeah, she is. is actually, yeah. <laughs> no excuse. Um, um, and so, no, I didn't want to look at anything. Right. Um, the only thing I, I knew about the woman in London, besides having listened to the recording, was um, I printed out a picture of her. And I cut out her face. <laughs> and I put it on a bill, uh, board right by my bed which I do all the time, and I would stare at it, stare at it, and I stared at that for eight months because it took eight months 
um, from the first audition to when I finally heard because I went back like three more times. I even went in. Oh, the good thing. So I went in a bunch of times in New York. And, and then are you flying yourself each time? Flying myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Flying myself. Met with a choreographer by myself. Um, he had he saw Zorro, so he knew he danced because um, they were going to build the number on on us. So they were not hoping for you to recreate what they had not done. At all. It was a fresh start. Yeah, not at all. They wanted they wanted something different. Um, and then I got a call saying the writer Tim Minchin is in Los Angeles. He's shooting a TV show, and and he'd really like to see you. Well, I was peeing because I loved Tim already. I was a huge comedy fan of his. And the funny thing is, I was in Sacramento doing Grease at the Sacramento Music Circus, so I had to fly back home to L.A., and You're seven thousand dollars in. I literally, even for, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. Not even kidding <laughs> That's you. That's not even the manicures. No. And while I was doing Greece, I tore my ACL doing the hand jive. <laughs> not good. No. Um, and I never talked about it. Now I can talk about it because five years later. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have to dance. I just had to go back and sing for Tim. It turns out that Tim mentioned, and they were seeing the reason they were in LA is they were seeing some celebrity men, not for me, for the Trunch Bowl because they weren't sure if Birdie was coming over. And so it turns out that Tim Minchin had been filming, and he only had time to see one audition, and it was mine. And it was just, like, happened to work. And I went in, and Tim was like, of course this is the girl. Like, why did why did why do you need my opinion? This is her. Um, and so I heard right after that, but then I had to get my ACL repaired. So I had ACL surgery three months before I had to start doing the hardest dance number I've ever done. So I was in therapy for eight hours a day. And my- you didn't tell them. Because you didn't no, want them to know. Of course not. And there was no doubt in my mind that this was going to be fine. That it was, you know. You worked so hard. I worked so hard. And my husband would only, like, give me sports metaphors and, like, would never let me say anything like it's not going to happen. And it 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 was great. And I, you know, did 1,200 shows on a, on a repair day. <laughs> that is unbelievable. But, I like, the story of how, how, oh, and I got the phone call that I got the job in post-op. Literally, I came out of surgery, uh, and I got a phone call from my manager, and I was like, hey. <laughs> and he's like, you're getting it. Like, I kind of knew I was getting it right before I went to surgery because you have to get cleared by the estate, and they don't do that unless you're actually getting the gig. What do you mean cleared? Like, make sure you the don't have estate, or... No, no, like the doll estate just has to give their Sign final. Off. Yeah. And so um, I came out, and I was like, hey. Unbelievable. And I remember calling my parents. I was like, I'm fine. I'm going to and had just had this major knee surgery, but there was nothing that was going to keep me from doing that. And, you know, and and bless my, the only person who knew was my dance partner, Philip. And there's a, a move that we call the Kuda Slam. Mm. This is like a jump split. And originally the choreography was an assisted split, but that actually hurt my knee. And so I told Philip, I was like, I can't, I don't want to do it. And so I said, you know what? I can do a jump split. And they were like, oh, my God, you want to do that eight shows That's a week? And I better. went, yes. Because it just, you know, that came out of, uh, okay, this is kind of hurting me more than so, something. Yes. And, and that cooter, mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. cooter move mm-hmm. is sort of has made you famous in part. It's hysterical. Like, kids. Hashtags. Had, it's like I, a whole I know. thing. It's so funny. And it's so fun. And, you know, my body hurts. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a drag term cooter slam i'm not sure i don't know where it came I thought from my body hurts is a drag oh, term oh my body I think hurts my body hurts is a drag <laughs> i mean i'm sure it is a drag term I, as well my body hurts <laughs> but yeah i i loved that show and did you guys know i mean obviously it had, had a history yeah. and so it came to new york with an expectation of think, success did you feel 
intense pressure throughout the rehearsal process? Yeah, completely. And I think it worked against us. I felt pressure just because it was my debut and it was such a big show. And I remember just weeping in the locker room of New 42 because... That's where you rehearsed. That's where we rehearsed. Loud was the hardest number I think I'll ever do. And we made it look easy. That was our job. But vocally, it's so difficult. Stamina, we had to train running and singing the song and dance-wise. And, you know, it's it's no joke. How and long is that number? It's four and a half minutes. Yeah, of nonstop. Of nonstop. And it's really, really difficult. And if you break it down, I know people live like, oh, I tried to sing it. It's really high. I went, uh-huh. Or people going, I tried to dance. That's really hard. And I've said, yeah, but that's our job to make it look like nothing. Yeah, you made it um, look so effortless. But I think like to our detriment, you know, people were like, oh, that's a fun number. <laughs> You're like, are like, you what? kidding me? Um, but as far as the show, I think there was such expectation, and rightly so because the show is genius, that I feel like there was kind of a backlash almost, not from audiences, but from, like, not critics. Critics loved it. It was just, you know, we got to the to the Tonys and we were kind of, like, felt weird. and In what way? We just didn't really win anything. You know, Gabe, my husband, won, and thank God. Not your real life husband. Not my real life husband, but my, my stage husband. Yeah. It was just disappointing, I think, like, I don't know. If, to be working so hard and to be doing something so original and have it not be yeah, appreciated I mean, in it, certain but, ways. But it, and it was in its own way. You know, and we had a really tough year. There was, like, amazing theater that year, which is awesome. Um, but I think there was definitely an expectation that put pressure on us. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard. Tim's stuff is so smart, and amazing and wordy and it's it's it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. I mean, people loved it though. We you know we had a great run. I just think it should have run a decade, not four years. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm sure it will come back. I'm sure. You know, it's so beautiful and we were so so proud of it. And you know, it meant the world to me to come back and close it. I I just didn't think I would. And I always knew I was going to come back and close it. I said, no matter what, I want to close this thing. And contractually, just, it worked out that that my God, yeah, Amy Spanger had come in. Yeah, she was there for a year, so I left in September, right? And she was there from September to September, and her contract was up, and she wasn't going to renew it. And they had already announced that they were going to close, but she, I think she had something else coming mm. up. And and so they were like, it literally was like the universe just went okay. And and I was supposed to be doing uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame in L.A. And they called and said, do you want to come back for three months? And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> yes. And it was so great because, you know, because it wasn't open that long. Still a like, lot of the people However, were there. I'm just wondering, instead of loud, I've always wanted to sing Maureen <laughs> from Rent. And the show is closing and no one cares. But it's all about the kid. It's all about the kid. So yeah. would it, it was, be weird if I did? Oh, my God. It was, just once. I loved it. It was so fun. You have this whole kind of alter ego right. out in the world. Her name is Queen Leslie. Uh-huh. And th- that is how you've been introduced to me. Like people on Twitter, Queen literally, Le- you have to have Queen Leslie on your show. And I'm I like, love. I would love to have oh, Leslie God. Margarita. I don't know. So, I don't know. Okay, here's the Queen Leslie thing. But so, this is a real thing, my friend. Oh, yeah. This is like a huge But it's thing. not even an alter ego. It is, um, and this is, again, like uh, my whole cabaret show is about this because it gets confused. Let me call it a persona. A persona. Sure, Sorry. a persona. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, persona works. Yeah. Um, the queen thing comes from uh, self-empowering. I tell people that no one's going to give you a title that you're going to like more than yourself. And as far as I'm concerned, my little kingdom is me. All I can control is me, what I think, what I do, how people can affect me. And so I'm 
the queen of my kingdom, which is me. Or your queendom. Or my queendom. Um, and, and you can call yourself president, supreme ruler, whatever you, you know. For me, it was um, a way to remind myself. And this came from when I was little. When I was little, I used to write Leslie rules on everything. <laughs> Leslie rules. And so, and I still do, you Many, I'm sure Bette Midler has it underneath her dressing table at the Schubert. Like, I would just write Leslie rules as a reminder of I rule, don't let people um, tell you what to do or who to be. And it became this, like, thing for me to remind myself. I was like, no, you're a queen. You're a queen. And then I just started, like, calling myself that on, on social media. And then I would call myself – the cabaret show that I started doing was called All Hail the Queen because it was – about had nothing to do with thinking I was better. It has nothing to do with that at all. And that's what I think gets confused because people are like, oh, you call yourself queen. You think you're so great. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is mine. You should be calling yourself king or queen or whatever you want to call yourself. It has everything to do with um, don't let other people rule your life. And are you able to, beyond the show aspect of it, in your daily life, how do you hold on to that? Because That's people the, are constantly going to try to knock you off oh, your yeah. throne. Oh, yeah. Or they want to be queen, too. Yeah. And that's fine. As, be queen of your kingdom, you know. But, but I have to remind myself that if somebody says something that is uh, trying to put me down or negative or if someone doesn't like what I do or, you know, on a daily basis we're told no, um, I have to at some point be okay with, well, not everyone's going to like me. If someone says something to me, I decide how I can process that. I can either take that and be devastated, or I can say, sorry, you're not allowed in my kingdom. And Do you read reviews? <sighs> That's so, a hard one for actors to... It's a hard one. I do. Um, what I did start doing, though, is... Uh, and I keep talking about my cabaret show, but it's it's true. I read um, message board posts of mine as a joke, as a way to diffuse. I think when when people write horrible things about another person that has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them, sure, it doesn't mean that they're hurtful. And I find I find terrible ones, and and we read them out loud. And I used to do like dramatic readings of them. Uh, I had a vlog on Broadway.com for Matilda and my friend Taylor Trench would read, do dramatic readings of these message board posts, because people are awful. And so if I can bring the, the queen thing to other people, especially younger people, if you can learn how um, to kind of rule your kingdom and try not to be as affected, try to love yourself, try to um, accept who you are, if you can learn that at, at a young age, then you're going to be so rad, like, growing up and it kind of had everything to do with when I was you know 20 and someone telling me I was the fat ugly girl well now well go screw yourself I'm not the fat ugly girl you know because it has everything to do with how I feel about myself but it's a daily struggle it is and I'm very open on Twitter on on social media I'm very open about bad days and you know I get rejected all the time that's just what I do so I have to find a way to, to laugh at it you have to um, and there's going to be times where you're going to want to quit. I want to quit every day. But I don't because <laughs> I have to rule. Because you're know? the queen. You can't yeah. leave I can't leave my queen. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's just a stupid Your little thing subjects. that like, that just became... But I'm very like... 
I encourage them to call themselves whatever they want, whatever makes you feel powerful. Um, and it doesn't mean like mowing other people down. That's not what it's about at all. It's about just how you you view everything, how you because you really can't control anything, anything in this business except what I do. And what's really amazing about what you do is that you have taken your natural talent. I mean, you have a voice. You can put your leg over your head. You can make people laugh. You can move them. And you have really invented a place for yourself. You've created a place for yourself and a name for yourself. And you are beloved. Beloved. Like the, the outpour of excitement I mean, the number of questions. Does she like being on stage more or on film? Like, people want to know, what is your go-to song? To sing, like, for auditions? Yeah, or just for you. Like, what's the song, when I sing this, I feel the most confident as a singer? I um, love singing My Man from Funny Girl, from the movie Funny Girl. I sing it all the time. I love it because it's just, like, I don't know what is. I, you know, grew up loving Barbara Streisand, clearly. And I love singing that. I love singing Man That Got Away. He's like men, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> emotional. I love singing those, like, classic songs, Barbara, Judy. I just love, I don't know. I, that's when I feel, because I feel like my voice type is more old school that yeah. way. Yeah, I, I just love singing those kind of. All right. Well, will you sing us out just with like <gasps> a little moment, a little moment from one of those? Okay. Just a moment. Oh, my man, I love him so, he'll never know. All my life is just a spare, but I don't care. When he takes me in his arms, the world is bright, all right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Leslie Margarita. That was magnificent. Thank you. Thank you for Yay, being here today. Thank you. I'm so happy. Thanks. Clouds can make the wind blow. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details.